section that I wanted to get through. Right? Do you remember this? If you could turn the game down just a stitch. Um, if you remember this, this commentary by D.J. Moody. But James readers are experiencing not only economic oppression, as are many of their fellow Jews, they are also suffering from religious persecution. Probably the two were related. Judicial proceedings against Christians on financial grounds may, be may have been motivated by the combined with scorn for their faith. There's a saying out there that says, don't judge me where I'm at, because you don't know where I've been. And so if we remember, James is writing to what's called the dispersion. The 12 tribes of Israel that were dispersed with the takeover. They ran as their lands were taken over. So here they are. They pack up everything because of persecution, because of impending death. They take what they have and what they can travel with, and they go to these other places. You ever move anywhere with what's in your pocket and nothing else? Mm -hmm. And you get to that place and you're like, okay, Lord, I need you to take care of me. And money's tight, you ever have to budget? So can you imagine being in a strange land with all you have on your back, being Jewish in a land that's not Jewish, And how people would look at you and judge you. Because it wasn't like we moved from one city to another city. Every city's got a church in it almost. Right? So it's not so hard to go to the church. You might not like the church or how the church functions. But nonetheless, it's a church. They hopefully celebrate Jesus Christ as Savior. Right? Otherwise, we're not going to go. But imagine. So here you are broken of a different religion different faith, how people would look at you and how people would judge you. But how does the church do it any different? Right? Oh, you're Catholic. Oh, you're one of those. Oh, you're, oh, I'm sorry, you're Lutheran. Oh, you're, oh, well, we're non-denominational, so we really have the answers. What does that do to the spirit of the person you're speaking down to? Regardless of whether you're right or wrong, theologically, you're wrong theologically. You know what I'm saying? So just because you say you're non-denominational, nowhere in the scripture does it tell you that you have the right to judge and condemn others for that stuff. You're to lovingly build up and bring people along in the walk in their, in their walk with God and hopefully... Hopefully the Holy Spirit will open up and soften their hearts so that you can speak the truth into them. But we don't. We cast condemnation and judgment upon people so oftentimes, and this is what he's talking about, like what's the difference between then and now? What's the difference? 2,000 years to get this stuff right, and are we still doing it that way? You know, people... People want to judge you by what they see, but if you don't know where I've been, you don't know why I'm the way I am. Right? Anybody have any scar tissue because of life? Uh, just things in your life that happen, and you're like, man, this is just the way I am. And somebody says, well, that's really stupid. 
I said, well, it might be stupid of you, and I can understand that, but if you'll hear my just shut up, you're being stupid. And just knock it off. If you were any kind of believer, if you were any kind of person, you'd just get over it. Right? Like how many, I, I, I could probably list more people than I want to that want to condemn me for the way that I do life. So as I've talked about so many times, when I first gave my life to the Lord, I was coming out of hating God. So I did things incorrectly. I did things to the best of my knowledge for what I knew at that point in time. And I carried my prejudices with me. So it would stop me from doing certain things. And as I walk with God, and as I matured, I hope that I changed, right? But if nobody would have walked with me, what's the likelihood of me changing? Unless I was in complete solitude, right? Because the world just keeps casting these things, and I can take my prejudices. And next thing you know, I've got myself locked in my internal shell. Nothing or no one's going to get in, and nothing or no nothing's going to get out. And I live my life barricaded in my self-made shell. But how many of us do it? How many of us let our prejudices, how many of us allow the things, the scar tissue to leave instead of the Lord leave? Well, I guess it's a lot easier to love a porcupine from a ways away, right? How many of you guys have all heard the phrase tree hugger, right? Well, how many of you are going to go up and hug a big old prickly cactus? So it's easier to stay back. So if you just judge everything as prickly or everything is dangerous, then you're going to just stand back and not approach and not love. And you're going to feel righteous in that. But not every cactus has pricklies that are going to get you. Not every person that you see acting all gruff is actually gruff. Sometimes we, or when I say, sometimes people walk in a certain way to protect themselves. We talk a lot about bikers because that's the world that I came from. And so, six foot three, long hair, big old grizzly beard, tattoos, vests, leather chaps, yada, yada, yada. You have a prejudice in your mind firing off the instant you see them. The very second that you see them. Not many of us say, gosh, I really gotta get to know that person. I bet you there's somebody really sweet and kind in there. If you're from a predominantly white community, and all of a sudden you see a black person or a Mexican person. What do you do? You're, whoa. Right? And a lot of people do it. It's still alive today. It's alive today. I pray that it's getting better. But we carry our prejudices with us as we go through life. Some of the prejudices that we carry are for a reason. Others are because that's what we've been taught. So here are these people, this dispersion, these groups of people are out in these communities where Jews were not, and they're struggling, and they're suffering. So 
So why is, why is James talking about this? Why is James talking about this stuff? You see, the book of James is all about teaching people how to love, teaching people how to walk with God, and yet if we don't ever walk with God, then what are we doing? We're walking by our own prejudices and our own opinions, our own values, our own belief systems. But if you look back when you were 13, I pray that your belief system is different now than it was then. Right? Like, just for instance, if you're, if you're 13, and you look at me, I'm 52, to a 13-year-old, I'm really old. But being 52, one, I can't believe that I'm this old, and two, I'm like, well, it's not that old, I'm not done yet. I've got a long way to go, right? So your viewpoint, your vantage point, the way that you look at things, hopefully that's going to change how you see the world. But if we look and see the world through the eyes, the lens of God, we see things differently. And that's what James is trying to teach us, that this life with God brings forth a difference in the heart of the believer. That you can't just walk the way you always walk. You've got to walk a little different. Right? We're not talking about walking like an Egyptian. Remember that? Thank you, sir. I know what you guys want to do to dance right now. Another time. Alright, alright. So James 2, are you in the book of James yet? Yes. Chapter 2? Everybody there? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you guys like to be judged? Right? Especially falsely? I don't know, man, I just hope that everybody judges me falsely. It's ignorant. Nobody does that, right? In fact, when they do it, it, it builds hurt. You feel hurt when people judge you. You just want people to take a minute to get to know who you are. And so what is he saying here? That if you fulfill the royal law, what's the royal law? God's law. The old Mosaic law. <laughs> Because people would be transitioning at some measure at this point in time from whatever their worldviews are into this Judeo-Christian viewpoint because Jesus is already here at this point in time. So even the Jews had to look at things differently. They either received the whole law of Moses and fulfilled that law or they received Jesus Christ and understood that there's some differences going on here. Like it's a little bit different. So if you're going to if you want to stick to that, then fulfill the whole thing. But in that, this is one of the things that you should do. You should love your neighbor as yourself. If you're doing that, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. This is the law saying that. So he's boiling some points down to help us see how things are different. How we need to be looking at these things. So you think you're perfect, but yet you don't love your own brother. Now, you're counting your sins less than a neighbor's. You're counting this because you do it better, even though it opposes what it is you're trying to stand up for, what you say you're doing. 
You see, that's the way this world is going. It's, it's really funny, but not funny, to be able to sit in a church and, and cast our judgments and see the way that the world should be and see the difference between what Christ is calling us to and the way that it's going, and yet what are we doing that is different? So if you want to cast the stone, then you darn well better be able to prove yourself to be loving of your neighbor at least. What does that mean? Boom. Right there. But if you show partiality, if you're judging somebody, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. So I'm going to break that down just a little bit. Transgressor, infringe or go beyond the bounds of a moral principle or other established standards of behavior. Well, God is calling you up to a certain measure, and you think that the way that you're acting and the things that you're doing are good, but there's obviously in opposition to what God is calling you to, you are a transgressor. You are committing a sin. Mind you, that sin is forgiven, but if you continue to think that you can continue to go on as you're going and as you're doing, you are wrong. For how can darkness dwell in the heart of light? You had better feel something in you, and if you don't, then is Jesus actually in you? Are you going to continue to just keep on justifying your actions because that feels good to you? Because whether you know this or not, just because it feels good to you does not mean that it is of God. So we allow emotion take over and drive us more than the spirit in the word of God. And that leads us into a sinful life. And if we're not in that place of repentance and understanding what God is actually calling us to, then where are we? If you are not feeling condemnation, conviction in your heart to change and alter your path to be in the word and in alignment with God, then where are you? Are you actually understanding who you are in Christ Jesus? Do you actually have Jesus in your heart or not? These are important things to know and understand. Because I cannot hate my brother and walk into the gates of heaven. Because what does the word tell us about unforgiveness and how easy it is to get into heaven with it? Can you get into heaven with unforgiveness in your heart? No. no. So if you can tell me that, then tell me what we're doing when we're judging. We are not allowing somebody even the opportunity to bring change. We're holding them to a past. We're holding them to what life has created them to be. And so in this world where so many dads, 75% of dads 
on an average in the black community are gone. 60%, 50 to 60% in the white community, dads are gone. How is mom supposed to raise a young boy to be a man? How? And the church just says, well, she's a how. You don't want to get involved with that girl. She gets nasty. He left for a reason. He left because he's a coward most of the time. You see, but my, my bet would be if you follow that person back to their upbringing, they're doing something out of a reaction or a response to the life that they were given and shown. So I come from a European descent and love, and fatherly love and all that affection and all that stuff, and I was just love. Now, I don't know if my dad ever got a hug from his dad or ever heard that I loved him. So how is my father, unless he knows Jesus Christ, how is he ever going to make or do anything different than that of what he was taught? So don't judge me where I'm at because you don't know where I've been. You see, it's really easy to cast a stone on the man and say you're in fear. You're a coward and you won't stand up to your stuff. But there's something behind that that, that causes him to run when he's scared. But you know, the problem with most moms is that most moms get stuck with the kid and they'd be hightailing it out there too if they had a chance. But there's something about giving birth to a baby that you can't just walk away from that most times. And when you do, there's something wrong, something messed up in the wiring. It's not because, oh, I want to get rid of the kid. And if you think that's true or real, you're wrong. There's something behind it. There is something behind people leaving their children. There's something behind the actions that we do, the things that we do when they're not in alignment with God. There's a false belief system. We don't believe who we are, who God created us to be. You see, and so we cast our judgments and we can look and we see only that which is on the surface, but what lies just underneath the surface. Was that child raised in a loving family? Was that young boy taught how to love from a young age? What was that young girl missing? Why do you think God is telling us to love before we judge? Why is he doing that? Do you think that God, the Father of heaven and earth and all things in between, do you think that the Father understands and knows that each and every one of us, through our upbringing, has been missing something? That there's something missing, that the love of the Father, even in churches, even in churches are not taught the love of God for real. They think that discipline is a bad thing. And discipline is actually a good thing. To be disciplined in the way of the Lord means that I will not depart. So when the Word tells me to raise up my children in the way in which they will go and they will not soon depart, what does that mean? That means that I don't get to put my kid in front of a phone and let him sit there all day long so that I can go and do other things. That means that I need to create margins in my life 
so that I can actually do the things that I need to do so I can raise up a well-rounded, loving child. You see, church, if we don't start loving people, we don't start doing these things, we don't start going to like King's Table and actually just loving on people, how are they ever going to know that the church is different? How are they ever going to know that the love of God is different than that which they've had? They're not. If somebody doesn't rise up, if something doesn't change, nothing will change and we're going to raise another generation that's arguably worse than the one before in the name of trying to do it better. Absentee parenting does not result in better children. Amen? James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So how can I say that I'm a perfect or I'm a good Christian if I hold the laws but do not do them? Or if I hold the ones that are easy and skip the ones that are hard? Pornography in the church? Um, that's a big one. Six out of ten men struggle with pornography. One out of six women struggle with it. Did you hear me? One out of six women. Like, most people think that pornography and the struggle with that is just out of men. And wrong. What causes these things? What causes the desire to find the love in all these things? And yet, we can come to church and we can dress up real nice and pretty like and wear our Sunday hats. Saturday night, Saturday night we were looking and acting like an idiot. Now, I'm not saying you're not welcome, I'm just saying let's get a grip on reality here. Right? Like let's understand that surely, and we're going to talk about it here later, the grace of God has to be extended out just as much as we wish to receive it. There's grace, but the grace allows you to feel the conviction of God in your heart. And so loving people, like, don't just tell me that i got to go to church on Sunday. Don't just tell me that I need to be morally right or morally okay. Don't just tell me, but show me. Because you can run your gums but your feet don't do anything to show me. I'm really glad that you have that in your head. Now how about you put it in your heart, and how about it moves your feet to do something different than what you were doing before? Do you think there might have been a problem here that James is talking to these people? That James is talking to these people for a reason. Put yourself in their shoes and experience the conviction experience the prejudice that these people were experiencing. How would you act? It is best to understand the royal law as another characterization of the will, entire will of God for Christians. The entire will of God Ten commandments. What is God calling us to do? Ten Commandments. Can you understand those Ten Commandments? Do you know them? And people say, well, the Ten Commandments are dead and gone. Jesus died for them. He took it over. Well, I might have, but if you understand, God said to love God and love your neighbor way back in the, way back in the day. 
made all the laws, we come back, now Jesus, we couldn't fulfill all those laws, now here comes Jesus, and before he dies on the cross, he tells us to love God and love neighbor, what's the greatest commandment? That you shall love the God, love your God, above and beyond all others, and the second is just like it, that you should love your neighbor. What is the royal law? How are we to act? I'm not saying that you need to run around with a basket full of flowers skipping the blue, my darling. I'm saying that your overwhelming character should be that of Christ, one of love, one of acceptance, one of understanding. That doesn't mean that I'm going to allow people to poo on me. It means that I'm going to walk with some people that are a little bit hard to walk with from time to time when God calls me to it. James 2, 11 and 12, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So the church is notorious for this, right? The church hates homosexuals, but apparently loves gossips, slanderers, and drunks. Something's really wrong with that picture. Because now what we've done is we start to numerically order sin. So the worst one you can do is be gay. And then don't, 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 don't. And typically they're the ones that you're not. Is homosexuality a sin? Yes. Period. Is being a drunk a sin? Yes. yes. Is being a gossip a sin? Yes, is being a slander a sin? Yes. Read Romans 1 if you want to know what to do and what not to do. Look in there. Don't just justify your actions because, well, at least I ain't gay. Uh-oh. But that's the attitude that we walk in. We find the ones that don't just directly affect us and we go, those are the bad ones. And we forget these ones. But what happens when we do all those things, or we don't do those things, but we don't love our neighbor? Oh, hello. Hello, what's the difference? What is the difference if I stay away from the list of those in Romans 1, but I don't love my neighbor? What did that word say? Remember, can we go back to it? For whoever eats the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all. Let's go back to the verse before. If you fulfill the royal law, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. Oh, that's the royal law. So if you're not loving your neighbor, what's the difference between you and a drunkard, you and a gossip, you and a slanderer? What's the difference? You better figure it out, beloved. This verse explains why the law must be considered a unity. As long as the law is viewed simply as a series of individual commandments, it would be possible to think that disobedience of a particular commandment incurred guilt for that commandment only. So what they're saying there is that you need to understand that the law is the law is the law in its entirety. You don't get to cherry pick the ones that you want. You need to understand that they're all there. So the Ten Commandments, the first four are about God, the last six are about your neighbor. 
there's a reason. Do you think God made a mistake and didn't list drunkenness in the Ten Commandments? How about thou shalt not have any other God other than me? And you are worshiping your alcohol, your pornography, all these things. How about your spouse more than God? You see, church, it's time to wake up. But in fact, the individual commandments are all components of one indivisible whole because they reflect the will of the one lawgiver who is who? God. Where did it all come from? Okay, so 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of God. That mercy is better and greater than your judgment. What? That there will be such as shall become instances of the triumph of mercy, in whom mercy rejoices against judgment. All the children of men in the last day will be either vessels of wrath or vessels of mercy. This is the truth. Remember in the word it says that some of you will save me, but we cast out demons in your name. And he will say, but I do not know you. Because how do you operate in darkness and judgment and not loving your neighbor when you say that you have Jesus in your heart? I'm not saying you're going to get not going to get mad at people. I It concerns all to consider among which they shall be found. And let us remember that blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If you show no mercy now, you shall find no mercy in the great day. Is Christ in your heart? Is he in your heart, or do you just go to church? Because if you are just going to church, we need to have a talk. We need to help you to understand who God is, what love is, and the need, the necessity for that, and how we operate with that. Amen? It is of the utmost importance. James 2.14 what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? What are the works we're talking about this morning? What is James talking about here? Because the love of God inside the heart of the believer should cause the hands and the feet to move forward in love. Because you might be right as rain and still be wrong as hell. And we better start figuring out how to be righteous and not just right. Because though you can see where people are failing, your call is not always to call everybody out on their stuff, but maybe to help, help them to see what's going on in their life, where they're falling short of the grace and the glory of God, and help build them up to maybe your call to walk with them. 
Some people are stiff-necked. Some people really rebel against the Word of God. And they still sit in church. And in that case, there is laws for that. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother is sin, in sin, go to your brother. Right? Hey, man, I've noticed, because I love you, I've noticed what's going on in your world. And man, you're, you're jacking stuff up, bro. Go to hell. What? You heard me. Take your judgment and get away from me. I don't need it. I don't need anybody else. Now you take two. These are all done out of love. Not out of just being correct, but out of a position of love and to encourage and lift somebody up. And it says to take two or three with you. So now, maybe you grab the elders of the church and you have to sit down with somebody and you say, look, man, we've noticed this. This is the real deal. We love you so much. We want to help build you up and grow you. We want you to walk in the fullness of God. But this is interfering. If that doesn't work, then, what does it say? Take it to the congregation. When's the last time that you were in a church where they held, I won't say trial, but held somebody accountable in front of the congregation? That was me a year and a half ago. So most people have never, ever, ever been held to that measure. Because we think that it's a bad thing, and it kind of is. If you make it to that point, you probably ought to figure out that you got a problem. Right, like how many of you guys have ever figured out, like I grew up, and like I said, I was an alcoholic, and it never failed that when I drank, I always ran into one jerk. I would say I'm a happy drunk until somebody makes me angry. Inevitably, some idiot would make me angry. What I found out when I got sober is that I was the idiot getting somebody else angry. I was the catalyst for my own hurt and pain, my own anger. I did it. So that happens sometimes when we're under a spirit of oppression. We don't see that, hey, we got a problem, right? Like it's painted in our hearts and our minds that we're really good people, but everybody keeps saying, man, you're kind of a jerk or people leave you. And I said, well, why is everybody leaving me? Well, maybe you want to check yourself. Right? Is that okay? But we get so prideful, we get so jacked up on our own faith and our own self that we think that people hate us because they see the wrong. And that's the type of world we're living in where you can't have conflict. You can't have confrontation because it's got to be ugly. Why is confrontation and conflict ugly? Pride steps in and now you're telling me that I'm less than I'm not telling you that unless you're less than, I'm telling you that the way that you are walking and the things that you're doing are less than who God made you to be. Can you not see that I love you enough to take the chance or risk losing you, that I will call you out and call you up to something better? It doesn't mean that I'm better. It means that I see better in you. Or non-confrontational people in because heaven forbid we actually hold one another up. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have words? Worship team, if you'll go up. 